I do appreciate the opportunity of being in the pulpit. I ask you to be in prayer. Keith has been in Utah with uh, one of our missionaries, Lee Whitworth. He's been uh, speaking at a men's conference. He'll be traveling back this week. Um, but we are continuing on in the series of actually martyr uh, became synonymous with the term to die, but it really just means witness. We've been in the book of Acts for the past couple of weeks, and today we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. And so you might want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. I just want to tell you the story, the story and the setting of Acts chapter 3, the first 10 verses here. It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and Peter and John, they're on the way to temple for a time of prayer and a time of worship. And as they get up to the temple, right before they go in the gate, a beggar catches their attention. He's a lame person. He's being carried by some friends who probably brought him there every day, laid him there right in front of the gate so he could beg for alms as people passed by. And so the beggar cries out to Peter and John asking for alms. And Peter, he stops and he looks at the man and his response is a little unordinary. The guy's probably hoping for a coin or two, but Peter stops and he looks at the guy and he says, look at us. So the guy looks up and he sees Peter and John staring at him. And Peter says this, I have no silver and gold. And I think the beggar probably looks back down. Oh, shucks. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> Give it to me. That's unfortunate. Until Peter says, the next phrase, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. The eyebrows probably lift back up. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so Peter reaches down. He grabs this lame man's hand, and as he lifts him up, strength fills his ankles, fills his feet, and the man gets up. He gets up. He walks. He leaps. The text says that he goes walking and leaping and praising God into the temple with Peter and John. And you can just imagine the sight of this lame beggar walking, leaping into the temple. What we find out in the next chapter is this lame beggar is over 40 years old and he has been lame since birth. And so this was a familiar face around the temple. He probably had his little spot and people would walk by and some people would toss a coin and most people would ignore him, but they'd know who the guy was. Well, all of a sudden, he's in the temple and he's praising God and he's walking around and he's leaping. Man, the people were astonished. They were amazed, is what the, the Bible says. And, and that's a great story. That happened. Well, as I look at it, I believe that this story is not only just a story about a lame man being healed, but it's also a parable of sorts about our salvation. You see, just like the lame man, we have all been born poor. We have been born with a debt we owe to God, and we are helpless to pay that debt. And just as the lame man sat outside of the temple. We are separated from fellowship with God because of our sin. Just as the lame man entered into the temple, we are able to have fellowship with God and one another because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. 
communion should be a reminder to us that we can all come to the same table because we have all been invited in because of the restoration that Jesus offers. Just as Peter reached out his hand of grace to the lame beggar, God has reached down to us and offered us salvation through His Son, Jesus. Communion should be a reminder to us that from the beginning, God has had a plan to redeem and restore mankind. And just as this lame man did nothing to earn his healing, we can do nothing to earn or merit our own salvation Communion should be a reminder that as we come to the table, it's with a heart of thanksgiving. It's with a heart of gratitude. It's a reminder of the love and the humility displayed by Jesus as He was obedient to the cross. As His body was broken and His blood was shed. It was an act of grace for us. And just as the lame man became a walking and talking witness to what Jesus had done in his life, we have the opportunity to witness, to testify to what God has done in our hearts. We can give evidence of a changed life and a changed heart. Communion should be a reminder that the work of Christ is not only for ourselves. It shouldn't be limited just to these walls, but that it should spill over and overflow into the relationships and the interactions we have with the world and the people around us. The earliest church was committed in the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And the church will continue doing those things until He returns to make all things right. And so I know we've already done the story here, the first ten verses, but I just want to back up for a second um, and just quickly review. So far in the book of Acts, we've seen the mission of the church defined. It's right there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so simply put, the church's mission is to be and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2 is really the fulfillment of the first half of that verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's what began in the upper room and continues to happen today as the Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Acts chapter 1, we saw the mission. Acts chapter 2, we see the power. And today in Acts chapter 3, we're going to see the message. Acts chapter 2 ends with these words, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And chapter 3 just kind of gives us an example of how the Lord is adding to His church. So as we begin, will you just join me quickly with a word of prayer? 
Dear Lord, I pray that as we consider Acts chapter 3 and the message that you want us to hear today, that we will be faithful and true to your word, that you would work in our hearts, that you would work in our lives, that we would bring you glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So Acts chapter 3 gives us insight into what's happening and how the church is coming about. The chapter begins with that story we just heard and visited during communion. It's this wonderful story about healing and restoration. But it should not be separated from the rest of chapter 3. Because this healing of the lame beggar is really the catalyst for an impromptu sermon right here outside of the temple. And as I read through the rest of chapter 3 here, I find five keys. Five keys to effectively share the message of Jesus. The first one is found in verse 11 and 12. Acts 3, chapter 11, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. What I want you to notice here in these verses is the first key, and that is that we must consider the context. We must consider the context. Peter considered who he was talking to and where he was. Peter took advantage of the situation. He took advantage of the opportunity to share the message of Christ. And so before we go any farther, I just want to point out that this should be the heart of us as Christians. We never know when an opportunity might present itself for us to share the message of Jesus. We see Peter demonstrating here what he will later write in First. Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which says, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. So Peter took advantage of the circumstance and said, Here is Jesus, and here's the message that you need to hear. And now some of you may be questioning this because, as far as I know, there are not any healers in the sanctuary. You're thinking, yeah, well, I'm not going to have the opportunity to, you know, make a lame man walk and then have all these people rush to me. And you're right. That's not going to happen today. But you know what? I guarantee you that if you live your life as a Christian, you will have opportunities to share the message of Jesus. As you go out of your house on Sunday morning, as you go to work, as you minister to your family, as you talk and teach and train your children, you'll have opportunity after opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ. The question is, are you ready? Will you have something to say when that opportunity presents itself? Are you looking for the opportunities that God may have placed in your life to share the message of Jesus? Peter did. And he took advantage of the circumstance. But he was also sensitive to the culture. He begins, his first words of this sermon is, Men of Israel. And then he continues on with numerous references and examples that come straight from the Old Testament. He knew who he was talking to. He was talking to a bunch of Jewish people 
who were there at the temple. And so in verse 13, he talks about the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He describes Jesus as a servant. And if you were a, a good Jew, you would know that the language of a servant calls back to Isaiah 52 and 53, where the Messiah is described as the Lord's servant. In verse 14, Peter calls Jesus the Holy and Righteous One. These are messianic terms in addition to Christ and Messiah. Peter quotes Moses in verse 22. He references Samuel in verse 24. And then he talks about Abraham in verse 25. Why would he bring all this out? Because this is what they're familiar with. This is the Old Testament. This is what the Jewish held, the Jews held sacred. And rightly so. But Peter is making a clear argument based on their culture and their context to convince them of the truth of Jesus Christ. And so it's important to realize that Peter is talking to a specific group of people here. And while we may not be addressing the same culture, I haven't been to a Jewish temple recently, right? but I can learn from Peter's boldness. I can learn from the way he spoke with um, clarity. He was easily understood. He used terms that were familiar and recognizable for the people that he was talking to. Romans 10.14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And I would add to that, if I could, I'm not trying to add a scripture, but the thought comes to mind. Well, how will they hear our message if we don't use language that they understand? And this is important as we engage with a culture that we think and consider where they're coming from. As you talk to your neighbor and your coworker and your family and your friends, you need to understand where do they know, where are they familiar with. And we need to use that kind of language. So as we move on to the next key, it's important to note and remember that we should be sensitive to the setting, the culture in which we are engaging. Second key this morning is that we must confront people with the truth. In verses 13 through 15, Peter lays down a pretty hard truth to the Jews. He says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. If I was to shorten it, summarize it, maybe put in a little bit more of our vernacular, he was talking to the Jews and he's saying, look, God glorified Jesus and you killed him. Even unbelieving Pilate was ready to let him go, but you still wanted him crucified. You exchanged the Messiah for a murderer. You killed the very author of life. We were all there. We all saw it. We know it's true. Ouch. That's rough. But it was also true. Peter told them, in no uncertain terms, that they were guilty of the death of Messiah whom God had sent to them to save them. Just let that sink in. 
Peter's talking to a specific audience here. Mainly the Jews. They would have been around for the crucifixion. They would have known what happened. This is probably not how we would engage our culture today. You go up to someone and say, you killed the Messiah. You killed the author of life. People are like, whoa, what are you talking about? I don't even know where you're coming from. But we can learn a few things from Peter about how he communicates truth. Quickly, he communicates the truth with clarity. It's not about education or degrees or fancy words. You did it. Pretty much what he said. Very clear. He communicates the truth with boldness. Do you know where Peter was standing as he accused the Jews of killing the Messiah? Outside the Jewish temple. Not probably the most great audience to be accusing of murder, murdering the Messiah who God sent. But guess what? He didn't really care because it needed to be said. It was true, and he spoke with boldness. And what I found is if the truth's on your side, you can speak pretty freely. And he communicated the truth with integrity. He wasn't trying to puff himself up. He wasn't trying to gain a following. He was just saying, here's the truth. I care for your soul. I know that God cares for your soul, and you need to know who Jesus is. So what truth are we communicating in the 21st century? And we're not going around telling people, you killed the Messiah. You killed the author of life. What truth are we supposed to be communicating? And it's the same truth that has been preached from the very beginning. Three words. We are sinners. Pretty much what it boils down to. Romans, Psalms, Ecclesiastes. Pretty much pick a book of the Bible. We learn that men are sinners. We not only learn that we are sinners, we learn that our sin has separated us from God. And that our sin has put us on an eternal path of destruction. And so just as Peter is trying to get his Jewish audience to understand that they have killed the Messiah that God sent to save them, we must confront people with the fact and the truth that we are all sinners and the penalty for that sin is death, it's eternal, and it's infinite separation from God. People need to feel the weight of their sin. But thankfully, Peter didn't crush them with their sin and walk away. So we come to our third key this morning. We must point people to Jesus Christ. If you look back at verse 12, Peter quickly corrects the notion that somehow either John or himself healed this man. Verses 13 through 15, we just read, he's saying, no, it was Jesus. And then he gets to verse 16 and he makes it as clear as he possibly can. And, by, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. This is the message that the church is called to, to spread. Peter, in Acts chapter 4, he's standing in front of the rulers and the leaders and the elders and the scribes. He's been arrested. And the message doesn't change. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, 
For there is no other other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. We are all lost sinners who without Christ would be eternally lost. But Christ did come. He did die on a cross for our sins. He did rise from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and He is coming back to restore all things. This is the message that we are called to share. Jesus died for your sins so that you might be with Him forever. But as we point people towards Jesus, we can't separate it from the fourth key. We must point people to Jesus Christ and we must offer people grace. Notice a few things here about grace. Verse 16, grace comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We just covered that. Verse 17 and 18, grace is greater than our past. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Peter said, you know what? doesn't matter. Maybe you didn't know really what was happening. You didn't understand that this was the Messiah. And guess what? Don't worry about that. Worry about today. I am telling you, I'm giving you the news that Jesus is the Messiah. You need to turn to him. The same is for us. As we engage with people around us, you'll quickly find that people are carrying a lot of baggage around. There's hurt, there's shame, there's discouragement. People think that we're not, they might think that they're not worth saving. They might think that they've done too many wrong things. There's all kinds of things that you might find as you engage and talk with people. But here's what they need to hear. Surely if God offers grace to those who crucified His Son, He offers grace to you. For everyone, without condition. To anyone who is longing for a new start, hope is found in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Grace brings repentance to all who believe. Verse 19 says, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. What is repentance? There's this question of repentance or faith. Does repentance come first and then you have faith? Or do you have faith and then you repent? Which one is it? What's the order? And I would say, trick question, neither. If I want to turn away from sin, to turn away from sin is to turn to God. If, if the text tells me to repent, to turn away so that our sins might be blotted out. I'm going to turn away from sin, but I cannot turn away from sin without turning in faith towards God. It's the same. It's two sides of a coin. Don't separate the two. They're complementary parts of the same process. Repentance and faith. We see ourselves for who we really are, and we see God for who He really is. We turn from ourselves and we turn to God. The message of the church is found in Acts 3.19. Repent therefore and turn back that your sin may be blotted out. In Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men which 
by which we must be saved. So we've seen four keys to effectively spread the message of repentance and salvation to the world. Consider the context. Confront people with the truth. Point people to Jesus and offer people God's grace. But as we close, there's one more. There's one more that may be the most important part when it comes to our responsibility in sharing and proclaiming this message. And it's this. We must live in response to Jesus. You better believe that that lame beggar never let anyone forget what happened to him. He lived his life in response to what those disciples of Jesus offered him in the name of Jesus Christ. I would like to think the picture that we get of this lame beggar of walking and leaping and praising God as he goes into the temple with the disciples is how he lived the rest of his life. That man was changed. Forty years he sat outside the temple. And now he's walking and praising God? You probably couldn't get the guy to shut up about how great God is. But what do we learn? We are the lame beggar. He has offered us something more and greater. We have eternal life because of Jesus. Why will we ever shut up about it? But we have to do more than talk and shout. We must live in response to Jesus. I wonder how God might use you if you would be willing to not only proclaim the message, but to live the message of Jesus Christ with the same boldness and conviction of Peter. And you ask again, well, how can I do that? I'm not a preacher. I'm not a healer. I would say, when people see you and you have peace in the midst of trials, what's that about? And you say, Jesus. And when people seeing you walking out your door at 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock, going to church every Sunday, what's that about? Jesus. When your accountant or your children or whoever else sees you putting that check in the offering plate, not really talking about it, you're just living it, why would you give money? Jesus. When people see some of the marriages that are in this room, 30, 40, 50 years, people are like, man, how do you do that? You say, Jesus. You're not just saying it. You've lived it and proved it. When people see you parent, and they ask you how you do it, you know it's funny because now I have two kids. <laughs> And you're just like, grace of Jesus. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. But people see that and they notice that. You're just not talking about it and they know you're not perfect and they know your kids aren't perfect. They're like, yeah, there's something there though. Jesus. Why would you volunteer to go serve those homeless people meals? Why would you come up for the food pantry? Why do you do those things? Jesus. How do you love that person? Jesus? But they're so annoying! Yeah, I know. Jesus? 
Right? We gotta do more than talk about it. We gotta live it. We gotta live it because it's changed us. That's the message. The message of the church is not only to be proclaimed, but it's to be lived. What would be the result? Here's the result in Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them. That could be a result, sooner than you think. Preaching the gospel, you're arrested. It might happen. Guess what else happened? Verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Lives were changed. People were saved. The gospel went forth. That's the message. can't just be talked about. It's got to be lived. The church has a message to share. Repent. Turn to Christ. Let's be sure we're living in a way that points them to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it's your power that we need. That Acts chapter 2 power to live lives like this. It's a tall order and we know that we can't do it on our own. So help us. Help us live lives that understand people, that see them where they are, their hurts, their failures, their questions, that we would engage with them and talk with them and offer them the grace and hope only found in Jesus Christ. Lord, let our lives be a display to your work that we might see thousands maybe even right here, come to know you as Savior. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.